0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the Biblical Five-Point Covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Worldview Media Podcast. I'm your host, Gordon Runyon, With me is my lovely and talented wife Joyce. Hello. Hello. And today's episode is going to be a little bit different. We want to discuss for a little while a book that I found fascinating several years ago. And the book is by Stephen King and it's called Dance Macabre. And translated, that would mean the dance of death. And it is Stephen King's kind of reflective ruminations about horror fiction and what he thinks makes it work and what doesn't. And his career, lo these many years, uh, kind of qualifies him to be an authority in that. And so when he says, here's what works in horror fiction, I think... Uh, we might pay attention to some of that. And the reason that I picked Stephen King, I'll just tell you a short story. When I was in between my 6th and 7th grade year in school, I came across a copy of his book, Salem's Lot. And I read that, I was probably 12, and... I spent probably the next year not sleeping very well <laughs> and uh <laughs> it really did it scared the <clears throat> snot out of me and I was and I couldn't just put it down and walk away I was engrossed in it and had its teeth in you It really did and in fact I blame that year of not sleeping very much I blame that on how short I am now and all of that. I'm the shortest Runyon man by at least an inch. There's nobody shorter than me, and I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. well, no wonder I spent a year at the beginning stages of puberty not sleeping. So I have a beef with Stephen King over that. But I remember specifically reading through that book, Salem's Lot, and I don't remember the specific scene I was in, but I remember... It was a very tense scene, it was very uh, terror-filled, and we'll explain that term in just a little bit, but uh, I remember kind of pulling back from the story just a little bit and realizing that here I am, all I'm doing is sitting down and reading, Mm -hmm. but my heart was racing, (laughs) the beats were pounding in my ears. Mm my hands were trembling and sweaty and i was i was seriously in a bit of a state there just <laughs> just freaked out i was terrified and in that moment i remember thinking man this is cool i it's so it's so amazing that here is this man who apparently lives in Maine. He's across the nation from me, and he wrote this book many years ago. And here I am, a little kid in New Mexico, and I'm reading this book. And this man who wrote this book has power over me and my physical, bodily responses. Mm -hmm. He has manipulated these things just by putting words on a page. Mm. And even as i was terrified i was i was fascinated by the power that this author had over me and in that moment i said to myself i'm going to do this to somebody else <laughs> <laughs> i need to figure out how to how to do this i want yeah. to figure out how to exercise this power over other people and really from from that place on i remember thinking that I would love to be a writer and specifically a novelist and be able to have that kind of power over people. Uh, it wasn't a godly motivation for wanting to become a writer, (laughs) but it was, Uh, it was, that's where I was. And so for a long time, I read everything that Stephen King wrote. And then I picked up this book, dance macabre and didn't know what it was. And it became apparent after a little while it was really a textbook on how to do what he did horror fiction mm-hmm. and here's my hot take why are we doing this why are we talking about this on worldview media podcasts here's my hot take you ready all right horror fiction is a genre that can and should be used to the glory of jesus christ and the advancement of his kingdom what yeah. That's why <laughs> they right. That's why they call it a hot take. <laughs> because the common evangelical response is well, horror fiction just glorifies death and the devil yeah. and, and the grotesque the, right, and the, yeah. Perversion, yeah. Murder and evil and, and all that. And I'm saying it doesn't have to. And in fact, Stephen King himself in that book, I think he pointed out some things that, as Christians and as Christians who want to be able to tell good stories to the glory of God, I think it should make our ears perk up a little bit. One of the things that I found really fascinating is at one point in the book, Stephen King suggests that horror fiction is really the most puritanical form of fiction there is. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> right, He was convinced that what you have in horror fiction is you have, let's just say it's a ghost story. Mm -hmm. In a ghost story, run-of-the-mill type, what you have is, a lot of the time you have a cry for justice from beyond the grave. Okay. That finds a way to reach into the world of the living and demand that justice king talked a lot about reading these horror comics when he was a little kid and how many of them were things like you know the wife cuts the brakes on the husband's car and he winds up driving into the lake and dying and then he comes back as a ghost and shows up in their house covered with like fish and you know he's got all all the the yeah all the seaweed (laughs) and whatever and what is that that's That's a murder victim calling out for justice from beyond the grave. Oh wait, do we have
2: something like that in the Bible?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, you do kind of see that. And I don't think we should skip over it. You see God confronting Cain after the murder of Abel and saying, Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Mm -hmm. And so in a lot of horror fiction, what you have is the monster, whatever it is, winds up going after a lot of bad guys. It happens a lot. And if you pay attention to it, it's kind of a trope. It's a thing that happens over and over again where the ghost is going after a bad guy. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the time, a lot of the time it happens, the monster kind of leaves innocent people alone and goes after the bad guys. And I think of specifically the slasher movies that became a thing in the 80's, Friday the 13th and Mm -hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street and that sort of thing and you knew who the first kids were that were going to die on the camping trip because they were the kids who were messing around sexually and drinking a lot and doing things that good kids shouldn't do and they were the ones that were going to get it first (laughs) because that's just the way it worked (laughs) right? and King is saying that That's so common in horror fiction that that's a thing. That's the way it works. Yeah. And I'm thinking as a Christian, you can use that in a worldview way. If you were to set out to write horror fiction, you can use that. Where the monster, just like we have a saying within the church that Satan, the devil, he's a very bad devil, but he's God's devil. He's on a leash. Mm -hmm. He's... God may let out the chain a little bit and give him permission to go and wreak havoc here and there, like in the case of Job. Yeah. But he's still under control, and he's still God's devil. And I just think in Christian fiction, in a horror genre, whatever the bad guy is, whatever the monster is, could be in that same position where he represents God's wrath against evildoers, and mm-hmm. is going out there to get them, and to inflict justice, really. And so I think that's a thing not to be overlooked, and that's why Stephen King said, like I said, that horror fiction was the most puritanical genre. It's yeah. just that we don't think of it that way, because it is gross, and it's dark, and... yeah. And all well, of that. it seems very unchristian. right, know? Very unchristian. It's not about that's angels,
2: right. it's not about heaven. It's not <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, we have a very uh, thin view of what we would call Christian material, you know right and and that's really unfortunate because the world is much larger than that thin view. and it it doesn't really appeal to a lot of people. And especially in the time that we live right now, with all the turmoil and all the uncertainty and all the unrest, you know, that horror has a real appeal to the people around them because even though it's fantasy, it kind of reflects how they really feel about oh, their yeah. situation.
1: You didn't read this book, did you?
2: <laughs> no, I did not.
1: <laughs> because you just, you just nailed one of King's major theories. Uh, one of the things Stephen King said was that You can look at times in American movie-making history, and when you see a time when horror fiction ascends, Mm -hmm. his contention is that's an indicator that the mood of the country is very filled with anxiety Mm -hmm. and fear. And so apparently horror fiction with a few exceptions, didn't do very well during the Reagan economic yeah, during
2: the booming time. <laughs>
1: right. What you know, think of what were the big movies from the eighties? It's stuff like Back to the Future yeah, and Fun uh, and right. Happiness. Sixteen and, Candles and Yeah. The Breakfast Club and stuff like that. And in times when the economy's good and everything seems to be cruising along, horror fiction kind of descends. Mm-hmm. And goes under the covers.
2: Well, you know, just looking now at all the movie previews and trailers and things coming out, they're really kind of there's a lot they're of horror. Right. <laughs> and I say, well, I kind of feel the same. <laughs> you know, looking at our election ballot and uh just the state yeah. of things in the world it, it <laughs> seems very uh, overwhelming
1: right if you don't vote for the wolfman you're putting the bride of frankenstein <laughs> in <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> right and so that's that's really stephen king one of his major theories is that horror fiction in at least in terms of its popularity reflects what's going on in the culture mm-hmm. and he had a quote i wrote it down and i'm I'm sure I lost it. I can't quote it specifically, but what he said was when you when you go to a horror movie, it's like opening a forbidden door or looking through a, a window that's very mysterious and may show you things that you don't really want to see. Mm-hmm. But you go and open the door anyway, and you peer through that window anyway, or people do. And his theory about why this happens, he said that we are attracted to the forbidden door, or to that mysterious window, and we want to open it now, because we all kind of have a sense that there's a day coming where we won't have a choice. You're going to have to go through that door. And so he thought it was kind of cathartic that there's something within people, and I think it's... I I'd agree. I think it's spelled out in Romans chapter one that we know that the things that we're doing call forth the wrath of God and we know mm-hmm. that we know that we do these things where the only sufficient punishment is death and destruction. And, and so King's theory was that we go to horror fiction to uh kinda confront what we fear without really having to deal with it. Yeah, without it being personal. Right. (laughs) He said it's kind of like a roller coaster. You know the roller coaster, if it's a good one, is going to scare the snot out of you and and is really going to get your heart racing and make Mm -hmm. you think for a moment that you're about to die. Yeah. But at the end, it will clackety-clack safely into the place where it started, and you'll be fine.
2: Yeah, and you can end it all with a laugh. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. And, you know, there's... I think that's true and and I was just thinking back to times when I have been at an amusement park or something and and hear them about to ride this ride that looks completely scary and stuff. Mm-hmm. I noticed what I do a lot of the time is I watch those people coming back after the ride is over. Yeah. I'm about to get on and I watch these cars that are coming in and I want to see their faces.
2: Yeah.
1: And are they still horrified? <laughs> do they look like they just cheated death? <clears throat> Or are they laughing and joking around and stuff like that? And if they're laughing and joking around, then I kind of think, okay, okay, I can go on this ride. This is all right. It may be a moment where it's kind of upsetting, but I'm going to be safe at the end. And so King had a theory that that's kind of why scared people, anxious people are attracted to horror fiction, because it kind of... Like you said, it it allows them to confront their anxiety without really having to deal yeah, with it. Yeah,
2: in a controlled environment yeah. where you can walk out and know you're going to be all right.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can walk out and laugh <clears throat> about how scary it was. Now that makes me think too. There's something in their Christian worldview-wise that a, a Christian author can use that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That if you know the reason people are picking up this horror fiction is because... Somewhere under the surface in a place that they're purposely suppressing in their own mind. Yeah. They know they're accountable to God. And they know their sins are calling forth judgment. And that's something you could tap into. Yeah. You know, I would think. Yeah. and
2: uh, I think so. And yeah. I think that's just really encouraging, too. Because, like I say, we've looked at what, what Christians can and should be doing. Right. And it's very thin. It's really, <laughs> really thin. And it's so thin that... The world sees these productions or these attempts, right, right. and they say, "Okay, I'm not going to go to that one <laughs> right. Because there's no big appeal to that and And I think that's another reason that you know what you're doing here, what we do here on a weekly basis is so important because we have such a a thin wafer of the depth of what we could be doing, because well that's not Christian, oh well, a Christian can't be involved in video right. games that are is going to do something other than veggie tales, or a Christian can't be doing horror films because how does that glorify God and right. and but the truth of it is in all things we're supposed to glorify sure. God, not just this you know quarter inch of the of the book, well, this is all I can do to glorify God, you know that's just Wrong thinking. Yeah,
1: it's a myopic view where, yes. if you're going to make a Christian film, it needs to come out looking like something like you know, what fireproof yeah. or God's not dead or yeah. I mean, it's got to be overtly religious in order for it to be Christian.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there were a couple of other things in the in the Stephen King book that I thought were fascinating and maybe be good for somebody who's contemplating writing in a little bit darker way. The first one that I wanted to mention is he kind of draws a distinction between three terms terror, horror and revulsion. Mm. And terror in his view is what you feel when you've got the vulnerable girl and she's in a home house by herself and she's bebopping along like things are normal but you know the killer is after her. Yeah. And that he may be in the house.
2: Yeah. Terror. Unbeknownst
1: to <clears throat> Yeah, terror is that feeling where the, <clears throat> the bad guy or the monster you're suspecting that it's just about to make an appearance and yeah. and it becomes very suspenseful because of that. That's terror according to King. Horror is when the monster does appear. Yeah. And now it's on. And now, now you know <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And that can be anything, you know, the ghost or a slasher murderer or something yeah. like that and
2: but that's when the person on the screen then realizes yeah, also the trouble and we in.
1: all see the monster. Yeah. Terror is when you know there's something bad but you haven't,
2: haven't you it haven't on. seen the details
1: yeah. and part of what's going on is fear of the unknown and mm-hmm. anticipation of bad things happening. And then so horror is when the bad guy shows up. And then revulsion is what he called the third lowest level he's going from highest level of what you're aiming for with horror fiction Mm -hmm. to the lowest so he shoots for terror first uh, considering it the highest objective Mm -hmm. and thinking back to that story i told when i was a kid i know that's what was going on (laughs) (laughs) is i was terrified yeah and so that's what he's shooting for but then the bad guy shows up and you've got horror which is the second level, the second best that you can mm-hmm. do. And then Revulsion is third and he That's says the it's and... the gross out. Yeah. In fact he one of the famous clips from the book is that, you know, I'll I always shoot for terror, I'll settle for horror. But if I can't get one of those, I'll go for the gross out. I'm not proud <laughs> and yeah. and I think of like things like The Walking Dead on T V. Sometimes <laughs> these things combine or they happen yeah. really quickly because when you're when your monster is a zombie a lot of the times horror and revulsion are the same thing Kinda walk together <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> slumping along <laughs> you might say <laughs> right
1: right. you know the zombie mm. may be there but then he breaks out and, and oh man not only is it the bad monster and now that now it's really on but yeah. man this monster is gross yeah nasty and so I found that really fascinating. I wrote a short story that's available for the Kindle at Amazon, and it's called The White Widow. Mm, do you yeah. remember that?
2: Yeah.
1: And what I was trying to do in The White Widow is have a story that was suspenseful, but not really horror. Yeah. You know, it's more a suspense thing than horror. And But there were a couple of scenes when I was going for suspense, and one of them is that the the heroine is trying to get this other scientist on his side, and meanwhile the the thugs that are being sent by the evil corporation, mm-hmm. they're coming up to his apartment while she's trying to get him convinced to do something and move, and, yeah. and who's going to get there first, is she going to change his mind, is she going to get him out of there, or, or are these bad guys going to show up, and... Uh, so I was going for some terror and some of that, even though it wasn't a horror story. Anyway, that's the White Widow, and
2: that's a really a pretty good little read too. <laughs> it wasn't what
1: you were expecting, was it? No. Yeah, I thought it was no. kind of out of the norm.
2: So, but you know, and I think this is just really very freeing for people, you know, like you that have ability and talent and definitely gifted to kind of venture out and try some different things and and expand their horizons instead of saying, well, I can write about Scripture (laughs) (laughs) or I can write about what somebody else has said about Scripture (laughs) or I can write kind of fluff pieces that deal with Scripture. (laughs) Sure,
1: Exactly. exactly. You know,
2: because God has given us everything that we need in the Bible and a lot of that stuff, you know, there's some pretty graphic horrible things that happen in there. and so
1: Right, I was just thinking about that before we were, as we were kind of thinking about this podcast, I was thinking about, there are some places in the scripture that I would say I don't know a reason for them to exist other than revulsion. Yeah. You know, the time when uh, Ehud stabs Fat King Eglon? Yeah. (laughs) Why do we need to know that the hilt of the sword went all the way in? And was covered by the fat. And why do we need to know that his bowels gushed out from the wound?
2: Yeah.
1: You could just say he stabbed him and killed him. Yeah. But we get the gory detail there. Yep. And now that we're talking about it, that just makes me smile. (laughs) You know, that's fun that we get that detail. And there are other things like that. Uh, the, The terror moment. That I thought of is when you really imagine in your mind what happened at Sodom Mm. when the men, the angels in man form when they were in the public square and Lot found them. And the sun is going down.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, and the people are coming out. Uh, right.
1: And the angels are saying, no, we'll stay here. We're, we'll fine. We'll be okay. And Lot is like, no, I'm begging you. You've got to get out of the street. You don't yeah. know what's about to happen in this place. Yeah. And that whole story, I think there's it has all those elements. That's That's kind of the terror portion yeah. where the evil hasn't shown up yet, but it's coming. Yeah. And you can tell Lot is terrified. But
2: he knows what's coming. Right. Yeah.
1: But then you get the horror part when all these perverted men of the city are surrounding the house. Yeah. And now, oh my goodness, it's on. The bad guys have surrounded. This is worse than a horde of zombies. Yeah. And then you even get revulsion when Lot says, no, take my daughters. And the men don't even want that that whole episode, that whole little moment right there yeah. is the disgusting. Yeah. And so I think those three elements are present in that story. Yeah. Uh oh, the other revulsion thing I got, we don't all we needed to know was that Judas hung himself.
2: Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is true.
1: We know more <laughs> in order than that. to complete the story. That's all we needed to know. Yeah. But the Bible goes on to give us the detail. Yeah. That the branch broke or something, and he fell and hit the ground, and, and his the, yeah, and his guts <laughs> sprayed out or whatever. Yeah. And and again, that just delights me a little bit. I know that sounds kind of dark, <laughs> but the fact that God, the storyteller. Decided to include those gross details. Now he didn't pepper the Bible with that; yeah. they show up once or twice, or here well, and, and there. Well, and I think
2: that's just a reflection of that. He is a god of details, and it's the yeah. same on the other side of it too. You know, um, and that's that's amazing because there, I, I don't think all religions have those details. <laughs> Either way, you know, and if they do, they're just kind of freaky details. You
1: know? Yeah, or they have no purpose. So yeah. yeah, like
2: spectacles and yeah. the mini spectacle glasses and a salamander and, you know, what?
1: Yeah, right, right. <laughs> uh, the other bit that I wanted to get to, just for the sake of writers and people who may be thinking about, ooh, are you saying we could come up with a horror-based video game, for instance, that could glorify God or... Mm-hmm. A novel or a screenplay or something like that. The other thing that I thought King said that was helpful is he kind of divides horror monsters into three categories. Uh. And he says there's really only three. I would argue, I say there's a fourth, but I'll add mine at the end. Okay. He He suggests that every movie monster, every horror mm-hmm. monster can be put in these three categories. And the first one is the vampire. Mm -hmm. The second one is the werewolf, and the third one is the, quote-unquote, the thing without a name. Mm. And so the vampire, he's pointing out that in the original vampire stories, these things have kind of changed in our culture now. Mm -hmm. But originally, Boris Karloff and, and all that in the original, the black and white vampire movies, there was something seductive and kind of sensual about vampires, uh yeah and they weren't just coming to bite your neck they were coming to seduce you yeah so and, that you'd want right. to be part and, of all this and some of the <laughs> right and some of the movies even showed and, and i mean they were going for schlock, and you know they're just making money and stuff but yeah. but you never see you never see the vampire go into a you know a 65 year old widow woman's home <laughs> you know He's going after the twenty-two-year-old with the bodice and the yeah. and the large breasts, and and this is the one that he's going after. and And when he bites her, she'll be horrified and in pain for a moment. But it, after a while, it looks like maybe she's kind of getting into it. You yeah. know, And uh, <laughs> and so King's pointing out that here you have these vampires and and this under this category could be any kind of monster or any kind of villain that that is really kind of capitalizing on your own lust and your own desires and is kind of he the way he's defeating you is by tempting you. Mm. Uh, now he does kill you at the end but yeah. but he's well, drawing you in. Maybe you get to be a vampire. Too. <laughs> right, right. Uh, the third category is the werewolf and under this is the kind of villain that's a good guy at some point, but he changes, and mm-hmm. he can become something bad. So, the classic werewolf is one, but also characters like Dr. Jekyll and yeah, Mr. Hyde. I was thinking of him. But I think also of Norman Bates and, and Psycho. Mm. You know, he's got a public face. Yeah, and, and then, then he's got his crazy face. <laughs> right. <laughs> then he goes off his meds, and things <laughs> he becomes something a little bit different. Yeah. And... So I think those sorts of things would be in there, and, and I think a lot of the uh, stereotypical movies that we have about serial killers mm. kind of fall in that category, yeah. where they have a public face. No and, one
2: would suspect them of having right. a dozen bodies in their basement or <laughs> sure. their backyard. Or, yeah.
1: And then the third one's pretty easy. Is just the thing without a name, and he suggests this is capitalizing on just fear of, uh, you don't know what this yeah. is. And, so weird aliens from outer space or the living muck that crawls out of the swamp and starts killing people or whatever and and so fear of the unknown is kind of in that category Mm -hmm. the fourth one i've kind of already talked about you've got the vampire the uh the werewolf the thing without a name which he suggests something like frankenstein's monster would fit in there And then I suggest the fourth category is the ghost. And specifically the ghost that is demanding justice from beyond the grave. And, and I kind of don't know where do, where do like modern zombies fit in all of that. I have thought for a little while that the modern day zombie is the materialistic evolutionary version of the vampire you know, he's undead, and he's coming to nourish himself on your flesh. Mm. But it's not, there's nothing supernatural. You can't stop him with a cross or with holy water or something like that. It's just all materialistic. and and That's interesting. Yeah, and so maybe the zombies fit in the third category, the things without a name. Or maybe they're just evolution's version of a vampire or something. So but anyway i think that's fascinating to think in terms of those categories and and how might you use these categories in order to communicate biblical truths your the things that you're lusting after those really will destroy you yeah and definitely you know and and so you could maybe fashion a a villain that was great at that kind of thing i just wanted to point out i haven't seen these movies I haven't seen any one of these movies completely. I've seen scenes, and I've seen enough to know what's going on in them. But they were popular for a while. The the Saw franchise. Oh.
2: Uh, yeah, I've heard about those. <laughs> yeah,
1: and they're they're mostly about the gross out. Yeah. And they're mostly about the special effects and and just being gross and and being I. Th- over-the-top in terms of torture and cruelty and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the story beneath it is that the villain winds up being this guy who, because of terminal cancer in himself, has developed a new appreciation for life. And what he's doing, he's upset with these guys, like rich, rich people who have turned life into this very materialistic thing and they have no appreciation for it and they have no love for their fellow man and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. he's putting them through these tests and these tortures which should awaken in them a realization that life is precious. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these things they could get out of if they're willing to be a little bit self-sacrificial and if they're willing to show some compassion here and there to their fellow victims and stuff like that. Yeah, And, you know, that comes close as a story. That kind of comes close to communicating some real things. Yeah, you some know. real truths. <laughs> now, I'm not sure in this particular franchise, I think the over-the-top grossness yeah, and stuff probably overshadows all of that. But there is kind of the nugget of a redemptive story in there. If well I if you're looking that. at yeah. it through
2: the right world view, you yeah. might be able to see that. Right, right. <laughs> but if you're just looking at it regular you'd say, Ooh. oh sure. You know.
1: Yeah. And and that's where I think Christian sensibilities I mean you don't have to be just over the top gross and, and yeah. ridiculous and violent and, and all of that. So when we do this again, if we do it, my hot take has been that horror horror fiction is a genre that can and should be used to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. The next hot take that I have, I don't know another way. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know if we'll get to it or when, but my next hot take is another genre that has been poo pooed Mm -hmm. that can and should be used is the superhero. And it doesn't have to be Bible Man or something like that. You <laughs> the <know>. Donut Man? <laughs> yeah. But I I think that if we really think biblically about crime and justice and how these things are dealt with, I think a superhero genre uh, affords Would, a lot of the yeah. same kind of opportunities for Christian storytelling. So.
2: Well, I can see that one a lot easier because uh, of right. the morality and the ethics. and Yeah. You know... Yeah, I can see that easier than than horror. (laughs) Right. Not horror.
1: (laughs) It's a horror that I would even think there's (laughs) something redemptive to be found. No, but, you know,
2: after having discussed this a little bit more thoroughly, you know, yeah, it it really is, it's there. You could do something more with this field than what's being done currently. (laughs) Right, right. And this is hugely popular in our culture. Yeah, across the board right
1: right you know and I think in the Victorian age when when you had writers that probably more like what we would consider gothic yeah uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne I think maybe he claimed to be a Christian I, I believe from what I've read there was a lot that was wrong with his theology I'm not claiming that he was a Christian but In his book, The House of Seven Gables, he kind of says right at the beginning, and this is a ghost story, it winds up being. Yeah. He kind of winds up saying the whole theme of the book is that uh, the sins of the fathers are visited on the sons.
2: it sounds familiar. (laughs) Right,
1: it does sound familiar. (laughs) And a lot of those early ghost story writers, the early Gothic authors, they were consciously communicating biblical truths just Mm -hmm. using...
2: Everyday stories. A ridiculous
1: uh, yeah. trope here with the ghost and, and all that. And so well, that's I my deal. That
2: also goes to prove that uh, writers, authors, are saying something more than what is just visible on the pages. Yeah, your you know, worldview is yeah.
1: kind of inescapable. One yep. way or the other, it's going to work itself out. Yep. All right, well, our time has flown by. We should probably put an end to this. Thanks for listening hopefully the writers among you out there will take something good from this and and we will lord willing be back next week with another movie or other kind of media review so god bless you and have a great week do all things to the glory of god
0: including creative things amen
1: (laughs) we'll see you next week bye
0: thank you for listening to the worldview media podcast please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology.